to uh, Luke 19. Luke 19, that's on page 878 of your Pew Bibles uh, for these next few weeks, looking at um, portions of Scripture that speak of uh, the glory of Christ and his gracious love uh, that he showed to us at the cross of Calvary. And a familiar passage of Scripture, Luke 19, uh, beginning with verse 28, speaks of the triumphal entry, um, but in Luke's account here, we'll, we'll see some uh, significant uh, scriptural truths, glorious truths that uh, the Lord is teaching to us, um, even here on this Lord's day. But hear God's word, Luke 19, beginning with verse 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we... We thank you for giving to us the the truth of your word that always points us to Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, Lord, all your word reveals uh, that gospel hope uh, of forgiveness of sins and one who would sacrificially die for our sins on the cross. And uh, Lord, may your Holy Spirit be at work in our hearts Uh, so that we would uh, see these gospel truths with uh, fresh eyes, revived hearts, so that we might go forth and bear witness, Father, uh, to the glorious and gracious love of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Easter parade was a once 
popular song written by Irvin, Irving Berlin back in 1933. It became a huge hit when it was sung by Judy Garland and Fred Astaire in the 1948 movie Easter Parade. Uh, one critic called it the most popular Easter song of all time, of course, along with Peter Cottontail. Uh, Listen to a few lines from uh, this life-changing Easter song. You don't have to sing along, maybe hum, but in your Easter bonnet, with all the frills upon it, you'll be the grandest lady in the Easter parade. I'll be all in clover, and when they look you over, I'll be the proudest fellow in the Easter parade. Contrast uh, those light lyrics uh, with the holy and joyful words of worship that our children sang as they were proceeding in uh, this morning. Look again at that third verse of Hosanna loud, Hosanna, the words are there in our worship bulletin. Hosanna in the highest, that ancient song we sing, for Christ is our Redeemer, the Lord of heaven, our King. Oh, may we ever praise him with heart and life and voice, and in his blissful presence eternally rejoice. You know, with those words from Hosanna loud, Hosanna ringing in your ear, turn with me now to Luke chapter 19, verse 28 and following. Again, that's on page 878 of our Pew Bibles here. Uh, This is the scene. We see and we hear Jesus as he is heading to the capital city of Israel, to Jerusalem. Uh, Keep in mind that Jerusalem had always been Jesus' final destination. Earlier on in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse uh, 51, we read, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. You know, all of Jesus' life, he had been headed to Jerusalem. It's a Sunday uh, before his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, his scourging, his crucifixion. And here Jesus resolutely sets heads to the cross to die for the sins of his chosen children. And yet there's a note of peace in, in all of this. And, you know, what, what does Scripture teach us here in, in Luke chapter 19 in this account of Jesus' triumphal entry? Here we see that, uh, we learn that may every Christian worship Christ the King who gives us his glorious peace. That was true as Jesus was heading to the cross. It's still true today. Well, why should we... Continue to worship Christ the King. You know, here in these, this portion, we'll see a prophecy of Christ, the praise of Christ, and then it climaxes there in the closing verses, the peace of Christ. We begin with that prophecy of Christ's humble arrival in Jerusalem, there in Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Again, uh, keep in mind of the geography. If you have a map of Jerusalem in your Bible or you can find one online, uh, 
you can picture this. Jesus is preparing to enter Jerusalem from the east. You know, Bethpage and Bethany are are tiny villages uh, there on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is, well, it would be a mountain in Louisiana. It's about 2,600 feet high. And uh, the Mount of Olives overlooks Jerusalem to the east. The, The temple mount is there on the east of Jerusalem. And so Jesus here is on the Mount of Olives. He will descend into the Kidron Valley, and then ascend into Jerusalem. And uh, with that picture in your mind, you know, hear uh, the, the words here from Luke chapter 19. Jesus gives orders. Uh, These are commands that he gives uh, to his disciples. He sends two of his disciples, and he says, go. You know, it's not a suggestion, not a proposal. Go. You know, go into uh, the, the town, into the village in front of you, most likely Bethpage, where on entering you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever yet sat. You know, here we see Jesus' foreknowledge. You know, this is Jesus, not only the Savior of sinners, but the Son of God. He he knows that this cult will be there. Just as later on, Jesus knows where to send his disciples to find that upper room where they will celebrate the Last Supper. Jesus sends them to to go and to find this cult, one which has never been ridden, and that's important. Uh, it's the it's the implication that this is a sacred animal set apart for a special use. You, you have a taste of it in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 19, verse 2. Numbers 19, verse 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, This is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer without defect in which there is no blemish and on which a yoke has never come. And you can see this uh, consistently. This this colt has been set apart uh, by the Lord's directive to carry the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord prepares them as they go. When you get there, someone may interrogate you. You know, why are you untying this colt? And Jesus has a response. The Lord has need of it. So Jesus gives the orders. The disciples obey. Jesus there in verse 32. So those who were sent away went away. They found it just as he had told them. And then, just as Jesus uh, had that foreknowledge, the owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. You know, one of the distinctives of Luke's account, two times we hear the Lord has need of it. And it's striking. You know, here Jesus, Son of God, has, has need. This is all part of God's divine design. You know, 
leading up to the cross. It's not a haphazard event. It's not a random event. Sinful man is not in control of, of what will soon take place. The Lord knows exactly what is taking place, even to the the smallest detail. A colt that is tied in in this tiny village. No great reassurance there. The Lord knows all the details. He's in control of every last detail of our lives. The Lord has need of it. You know, this scriptural account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem can be found in all four Gospels. And it's really a small number of events that are mentioned in all four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then in John. And so it's easy for us, I believe, uh, to, to gloss over these familiar scriptural truths. It's Palm Sunday, preachers preaching again on the triumphal entry. You know, but but as we go through this account in Luke, it it should strike you, strike me anew and afresh uh, of the depths of, of God's love for us, the promise of his peace, you know, that the Lord is in control. You know, this prophecy of Christ's humble arrival in Jerusalem. Jesus the prophet here. Yes, Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, but but here we can see Jesus the prophet. It gives us great comfort. You know, he knows the future. He, He knows the stars by name. He knows where his disciples can find this tied up donkey in a tiny town. No, but Jesus has need of it. He'll humbly ride this colt into Jerusalem. He'll hear the loud rejoicing of the disciples, the unloving rebuke of the Pharisees. In these verses, we see both the the prophetic foreknowledge of Jesus Christ, but we'll also see his expressed need to fulfill prophecy. So we begin with that that prophecy of Christ's humble arrival in Jerusalem, but it it leads to praise of Christ for his humble ministry. There are verses 35 through 37. They they begin to honor King Jesus. So moving from Jesus the prophet now to Jesus the king, they, they bring this cult to Jesus and see what happens next. You know, they they don't have a fancy saddle for Jesus to sit on. You know, they they take the cloaks, their outer garments, off of their own backs. And they lay them uh, on the back of this colt. You know, it's an act of compassion. Earlier on in Luke, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and there is a a verse there, Luke 10, verse 34. The Samaritan caring for the the wounded traveler. Luke 10, verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You know, it's an act of compassion. You know, even as they are setting their cloaks on him and all good reason to believe there. You know, verse 35, take a look at it again, Luke 19. They set Jesus on it. You know, in in other words, you know, it's hard to picture it totally, but, but they helped Jesus get on this colt. You know, put out a hand here, Jesus, put your hand here. Or maybe they lifted him up, set him on this colt. You know, very gently, lovingly, tenderly laid out their cloaks and then lifted up the Lord Jesus Christ. Set him on this colt where he would ride the colt into Jerusalem. Where he would be tried, condemned. Crucified on a hill just outside of Jerusalem. You know, if that's not enough, you know, as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. You know, not not sure how many disciples were there, how many cloaks. You know, but but here in, in Luke's account, the uh, were to be focusing on the disciples. You know, it's easy when we think about Palm Sunday to think of the children, to think of the crowds. And yes, they were there. You know, but but here in Luke's gospel, you know, our, our focus is on the disciples who are worshiping and serving and praising the Lord. The poor disciples of Christ, and I say this very thoughtfully and hopefully reverently, but they took their their cloaks, you know, in those days they didn't have much money, one cloak, and they lay it down in the dust there in the roadway. And why did they lay it down in the roadway? So that a, a donkey... You know, and keep in mind, this is probably an unhoused trained donkey would ride over their cloaks on this road, covered roadway as it carried the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to Jerusalem. You know, this, this praise of Christ, you know, and Luke has a very structured picture here that that we are to behold of Christ. No palm branches in Luke's account. No mention of the word Hosanna. But we see the disciples humbly worshiping Christ. Now verse 37, Luke 19. As he was drawing near, Jesus is not in Jerusalem yet, but, but Luke's gospel gives us a, a wonderful detail already on the way down the Mount of Olives. You know, that that's not only tells us about the physical placement of Christ, you know, but, but it's a spiritual note as well. 
You know, think of the humiliation of Christ. Christ is going down. But truly, wasn't all of Christ's earthly life one of humiliation? In his incarnation, born of a woman, born under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, uh, the wrath of God, the cursed death on the cross being buried, continuing under the power of death for a time, you know, that, that's a summary of our Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism question, uh, number 3027. You know, so here, here Jesus is going down the Mount of Olives. And yet, what are his disciples doing, even as Jesus is humbling himself? The whole multitude of his disciples, we read in verse 37, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. You know, again here, the the focus is on the disciples, not not just the twelve, but but all of the faithful followers of, of Christ. You know, they begin to praise God, rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. We have a taste of it uh, just a couple chapters earlier, Luke 17, verse 15. Jesus cleansed the ten lepers, and then we read this, Luke 17, 15. Then one of them, uh, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. So it's purposeful praise, you know, they're, they're praising God that, that he is truly uh, the Son of God, the, the Savior of sinners. You know, Dr. Bach writes in his commentary, the multitude of the disciples is rejoicing, an activity that Luke alone notes. You know, and there's an application there for us. We are the ones who are to be worshiping and singing God's praises and and offering him our heartfelt thanksgiving. More than anyone else here on not only Palm Sunday, not only on Sundays, but each and every day of our lives. You know, why are they gladly rejoicing with loud voice? You know, it's a good thing for us as Presbyterians to remember, you know, once in a while it's good to praise God with a loud voice so that person sitting next to us in the pew might hear it. But why with a loud voice? For all the mighty works, plural, that they had seen. Remember, Jesus is not yet at the cross you know, but, but they're looking back and praising God for all the mighty works. And as you read through Luke's gospel, you know, and here I'll just give you a, a quick flyover of some of the mighty works that Jesus has done just in, in Luke's gospel. You know, he has healed a demoniac, healed a leper, healed a paralytic, healed a man with a withered hand. He raised the widow's son from the dead. He healed the bleeding woman and then raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He healed the boy with an unclean spirit. He healed the ten lepers. And then in the last chapter, he healed the blind beggar. You know, they're praising him for all the mighty and merciful 
works that they had seen. This is not praise yet in anticipation of the cross. This is praise, you know, for God's faithfulness. And then one final act, I believe, as well, is the mighty and merciful salvation of Zacchaeus. You go to Luke chapter 19, the beginning of this chapter. You know, the salvation of Zacchaeus, a man whom I believe that many thought, man, this this man will never be saved. Let's not even bother praying for Zacchaeus, the tax collector. And yet Jesus showed his mighty work of salvation in Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. And then this verse, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, that's what they were praising God for. You know, thank you, Lord, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know, Palm Sunday hymns are, are, are uh, good Palm Sunday hymns, are, are rare jewels. You know, we sang Hosanna loud, Hosanna. O glory, laud, and honor. There's one more that I hope we can learn one uh, before next Palm Sunday. It's in our Trinity hymnal, Ride On, Ride On in Majesty. It's number 237. And here just two verses that, that speak of Christ, reasons for praising Christ for his humble ministry. Second verse, ride on, ride on in majesty and lowly pomp, ride on to die. O Christ, your triumphs now begin o'er captive death and conquered sin. And then the last verse, ride on, ride on in majesty and lowly pomp, ride on to die. O Christ, your triumphs now begin or captive death and conquered sin. Here we see the humble worship of Christ, compassionate worship, you know, costly worship, laid down their, their, their Sunday best, their costly clothes for Christ the King. They did it together as a community of faith. But they did it gladly, joyfully. For Christ, the majestic king, for his mighty and merciful ministry. But look finally here at the closing verses. We've seen the prophecy of Christ's humble arrival in Jerusalem, then the praise of Christ for his humble ministry. Now, Uh, Beginning in verse 38, we see the peace in the glorious conquest of Christ the King. You know, again, with Luke's account, there there are no hosannas, no palm branches. You know, but, but, you know, here in Luke's account, 
we center on this truth here in verse 38. You know, four scriptural truths that we should learn about Christ the King. You know, they're praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying and continually saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know, we we hear that phrase, blessed is the King, in Matthew and Mark's and John's gospel, and they all take it from Psalm 118. Uh, verse 26, read it for us again. Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Psalm 118, it's a messianic psalm. It's also a, uh, a what they call a halal psalm. Jesus and his disciples probably sang Psalm 118 there at the Last Supper. They sang these very words again, those same words that they used to praise Christ as he is preparing to enter into Jerusalem. They, they used to praise God, you know, on the night before his crucifixion. You know, a little difference from Psalm 118. Psalm 118 said, blessed is he, and here they are saying, blessed is the king. You know, they're, they're praising Jesus that he is the king. The king who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus comes in, in the power of the Lord God Almighty. For he is indeed very God. He's not only king, but more importantly, he is very God of very God. Son of God. Savior of sinners, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And if that's not good enough, if that doesn't uh, cause each one of us to be praising God, it gets even sweeter. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You know, J.C. Ryle, one of the great... uh, Bible scholars, devotional writers, writes about this verse. We can only conjecture what the multitude meant by this expression. So when someone like J.C. Ryle says, well, we can only conjecture, you know, what was meant by peace in heaven, I do so uh, only on uh, scriptural grounds, But let me offer some scriptural conjectures as to why the crowds would cry out, peace in heaven. You know, a better way of understanding this is the peace that comes from heaven. Or we could also say the, the peace that we will know in all of its fullness and sweetness when we get to heaven. You know, a few scriptural thoughts here. Jesus is the prince of peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Jesus came to to bring us peace by his death for our sins on the cross. I'll give you two scriptural examples. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
that, that, that present promise of peace, no matter what the circumstances, that peace of, of forgiveness of sins, that, that peace of knowing uh, that, that Jesus Christ is our Savior. But let me read one other verse. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Colossians 1, 19. For in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And now hear this, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And so even here as the disciples are crying out peace in heaven, you know, scripture is telling us there is only one way to peace with God. And that's by Christ shed blood for our sins on the cross of Calvary. But it's a gracious assurance of God's peace. Peace in heaven. And then finally, glory in the highest. It's a gospel echo from the angelic announcement of Christ's incarnation there in Luke chapter 2. Again, that portion of scripture that we always read at Christmas time. And so we have these bookends. Glory that, that we proclaim, praise God for at his incarnation and now praising God here. That, that Jesus Christ will die for our sins upon the cross of Calvary. That's why Jesus was born. To die for our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peace and glory. Peace and glory. You know, let, let those two scriptural truths uh, reverberate in your mind and heart uh, throughout the week. Peace and glory. Peace that comes through faith in Christ. And and that leads us to give God all the glory and the honor and praise. Jesus receives all the glory for that gift of salvation peace. And here as well, going back to Luke 19, only two responses to the gospel truths of Luke 19, 28. You know, here, here's the fork in the road. Maybe you're there this morning. You know, either we're worshiping, rejoicing, praising God with a loud voice saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and the glory on the highest. You know, but, but what's the other road here? Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, you know, that, that was not a compliment. You know, you're just one of the ordinary run-of-the-mill teachers, dime a dozen, teacher. Rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. Don't want to hear any more of this praising God. Don't want to hear... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And those are the only two responses here uh, to 
this glorious and gracious march of Jesus into Jerusalem. Either the Pharisees' faithless rebuke or the disciples' worship and witness. And you have to love Jesus' answer. He answered, I tell you, if these, if the disciples were silent, the very stones would cry out. You know, why would the stones cry out? Because they're, they were created by God. All of creation one day will be crying out, praising God. It's a quote, an assurance from Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 11. And the Pharisees knew that well. Habakkuk 2, verse 11, For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. You know, just to follow that through, um, even the rocks were rent, torn in two at Jesus' crucifixion. i close with this. Um, Lynn and I had the opportunity this past week. Wednesday was a nice afternoon, and so we went up to uh, Chico, walked through the Arboretum, would commend it for all of you, beautiful spot, no one else was there, beautiful afternoon, we enjoyed God's creation, a very peaceful spot, uh, but, but what struck us both was um, just the sounds. Uh, the, the wind was blowing through the treetops, and I couldn't tell you all the trees that are, are growing there, cypress, oak, pine, magnolia. They have all little signs identifying the trees, you know, but a place of peace. Uh, reasons to praise God just for uh, the splendor, the wonder of his creation. And then I thought about it, preparing for today. If, if we give praise to God just for, for beautiful moments like that, a nice afternoon, hearing the wind in the treetops, you know, how much more should we who know the scriptural truths of a glorious king, a gracious savior, praise God. No, that's not just for the disciples, not just on one day in history on that Palm Sunday. You know, let us always be those disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ who are Praising our humble Savior, our holy King, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we gladly and gratefully worship Christ the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who promises us his glorious peace because of his gracious death for our sins on the cross. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. Thank you for that first Palm Sunday, Lord.
what, what a sight it must have been, what, what sounds must have filled the disciples' ears. And yet, Lord, you have given us that uh, gracious privilege of worshiping you, of singing your praises here on this side of the cross, here on this side of the empty tomb, here on this side, Father, of the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of your Holy Word. And so, Lord God, we pray that we would not only be worshipers of Christ, Christ our Savior, but may we bear witness with our praises, with sharing a verse of Scripture about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we be faithfully worshiping and bearing witness to Christ until that day when he comes again, brings us home to glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name.